Richard Wormbrand, the Romanian pastor who founded the Voice of the Martyrs, knew what it meant to suffer for Christ. Uh, guards came and opened the door and broke up the meeting and took the preacher out and took him away and, and beat him. What is it that allows a man to endure such suffering while still joyfully clinging to his faith? He was really absolutely in love with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. This week, we'll hear more stories of Pastor Wormbrand's life and ministry from Merv Knight, a man who knew Richard well and helped found VOM's ministry in Australia. We'll hear how it changes our own faith when we fellowship with persecuted believers, right now on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. Welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs radio this week, we are going to hear from someone who, uh, in many ways, was there at the beginning. He was someone who worked closely with Pastor Richard Wormbrand, who's the founder of The Voice of the Martyrs uh, in Australia. He also has been a longtime member of our board here for VOMUSA, uh, and that person is Merv Knight. He is uh, one of the co-founders of our sister mission in Australia. Merv, welcome to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thanks, Todd. It's great to be here with you. When did you first meet Richard Wormbrand? On the 1st of August, 1969. And you remember the day? I do remember the day because that's the day he flew into Sydney and I was at the airport to meet him. That was the first time I'd ever laid eyes on him. But at that point, you had already read Tortured for Christ, yeah. and so you knew a little of his story? That's how it all happened uh, in 1968. A small group of us in Australia read Tortured for Christ. It was, well, it was a new book that was published, I think, in 1967. And uh, we happened to get a hold of a copy of it in 1968. And uh, we read it with great interest. And, of course, it was a great challenge to us because it told us about things that we had no idea that were happening uh, in a part of the world. And uh, as a result of reading the book, we decided that the Australian Christians should have an opportunity to hear this man's testimony firsthand. So simply as a result of reading his book, we wrote him a letter and invited him to come. That letter went off in, I think it was September 1968. And uh, within a couple of months, he agreed to come. But of course, he had lots of other commitments. And so it was, was uh, well into 1969 by the time he could make it. And so you went to the airport, you picked him up, you then helped take him around to different churches and sure, speaking yeah, engagements. Yeah. What was what was kind of your first impressions of him when you met him in person? I guess uh, after having read his book, um, it was almost a little bit overwhelming to meet him in person. Uh, but, uh, I mean, really, he's, uh, he's a very friendly person, uh, and uh, he uh, is very interested in people. So 
he always tried to make us feel comfortable with him and, and that happened quite quickly and uh, especially, you know, picking him up from where he was staying, driving him to meetings, uh, being part of the meeting, uh, taking care of him after the meeting, driving him back. To, uh, so you know, we had a lot of close association and uh, fellowship. Richard just, he just seemed to accept people right where they are. He, he didn't kind of prejudge them or categorize them as, oh, yeah, those guys are lost and these guys are not lost. He just talked to anybody and everybody who would listen. Yeah, absolutely. And back in those years, um, denominationalism was a lot stronger than it is today. And uh, uh, he was absolutely cross or interdenominational, and he didn't care. I was uh, with him one time in the city of Perth in Western Australia, and Sunday we had a meeting for him on Sunday afternoon, so sort of a combined churches uh, meeting, and so Sunday morning was free, and he said to me, well, uh, let's go to church. Well, you know, I was a stranger in the city too. It's, it's uh, two or 3,000 miles from where I live. And uh, so I said, well, I don't really know where there's a church. And he said, oh, well, let's just go down the street and find something. And we walked down the street and uh, the first church we came to was a Catholic church. Now, I was ready to walk on past. I mean, the mission itself is basically Protestant and, and Richard was billed as a Lutheran and here was a Catholic church. But he said, I oh, know, here, let's go in here. And uh, we uh, went in and sat down and uh, they sang a few hymns and he stood up and he sang and he sat down and he said his prayers. And after about 10, 10 12 minutes, he said, okay, let's go. And up we got and walked <laughs> out. But he felt uh, he'd been in the Lord's uh -huh. house. Yeah. You're listening to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and we're speaking today with Merv Knight. He is the co-founder of VOM Australia, uh, with a lot of experiences with VOM's founder, Pastor Richard Wormbrand. When you look back now, and that was your introduction to Richard, but then you knew him for, you know, three or four decades, yes. three decades, I guess, after that. What do you remember most about him in hindsight as you look back on his life? Oh, I, I remember... His, his love of God. He was really absolutely in love with God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he also had a great love for the Jewish people because he himself was Jewish, Romanian Jew. Uh, and uh, he also had a, a great love for the Russian people. You know, and even though... Uh, communism we would think of as having come from Russia, Richard still loved the Russian people and and uh, he really wanted to be a missionary to the Russians, you know. and and But it wasn't possible living in Romania, uh, first of all under Nazi times during the Second World War and then and then in communist times when, when uh, the Russians came in in 1944, and took over the country, uh, and there was just no possibility. I mean, it was almost impossible to maintain Christian work and witness in Romania itself, which had to be done underground, which, of course, is why he went to prison. Uh, but he still had this great love for the Russian people, and he had prayed 
that God would enable him to take the gospel to the Russians. But, you know, it just didn't eventuate. So when the Russians invaded the country with a million soldiers in 1944, he praised the Lord. He said, oh, I can't go to Russia, but God has sent the Russians to me. And he immediately set about an underground work to the Russians. And, and he went down some side street somewhere and found a printer who was ready to print gospels in the Russian language for him. And so he had uh, 100,000 gospels printed. And then he got together a team and uh, their work was to get out uh, and approach the the Russian servicemen and and uh, give them the gospel. And one one of his workers was a lady named uh, Bianca, Bianca Adler. She was won to the Lord by Richard in his church before 1948, before he went to prison. Oh, wow. And, and when the Russians came in in 1944, uh, he took hold of her to be part of his team and she told the story and she wrote it in a book. Uh, how she would go to the train station because the Russians took over all of the trains. She said there were none left for the Romanians to use. The Russians took over the trains and they were all used for troop movements and so on through the country. And uh, she would go down and stand on the train station, which would be full, the train would be full of Russian soldiers. And uh, she would just wait there with a, a bag she had full of Gospels standing around as though she was watching the train and watching the soldiers and and then only when the train began to move she'd quickly move in because the soldiers were all hanging out the windows and looking and waving and 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 she'd quickly hand out these uh gospels which were very willingly taken Uh and then they always had a kgb minder on the train (laughs) and he was at the other end and she told me how you know he would be looking and he'd be leaning out the window and shaking his fist at her and mouthing swear words at her. Um, And then, of course, he'd make his way through the train to collect um, this contraband, but uh, the soldiers by then had stuffed them inside their tunics and moved off. So that was a bit of her missionary work. And and that was was Richard's attitude towards the Russians invading his country. It it says a lot about a person, and in this case Richard particularly, that a million soldiers invade your country, and you say, praise the Lord. Lord that's he's, right, yeah. He's yeah. brought these uh, Russians to me because I want to minister to Russians. Isn't this great? It gives you a kind of a picture of how he saw the world and just the fact that, that he could say, hey, this is a great ministry opportunity. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. The same thing happened in prison. I think, you know, when he went to prison, he didn't say, oh, you know, the Lord is punishing me or the Lord has forgotten about me. He said, okay, now I'm in prison. Who can I minister to? What? Who can I talk to? Yeah, well, she said, I was in prison and I had a captive audience. <laughs> and uh, um, I preached and, and they listened. And uh, uh, he told a story, he kind of told it, in the third person, but I really am pretty convinced that he was talking about himself. He talks about a prisoner was preaching in the prison and uh, the uh, guards came and opened the door and broke up the meeting 
and took the preacher out and took him away and, and beat him uh, because of what he was doing. Mm -hmm. And in due course, they brought him back, beaten and bloodied and threw him on the floor. And then he got himself together and looked up and then said, now, where was I when we were interrupted? <laughs> and continued on with his sermon. Let's go on with point number two. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like when those first years in Australia, when Richard spoke at a church, how was he received and what was his message? Uh, because at that time, you know, it's the height of the Soviet Union and the Cold War and everybody knows, you know, oh, yeah, the Soviet Union is bad. Uh, how did churches welcome him and kind of how did he speak to them or, or what was his message? Well, that's a very interesting question uh, because, you know, the church leaders did not accept him easily, but the common people heard him gladly. I mean, there were a lot of pastors and, and ministers who, who, who were on side and who did welcome him, but, but uh, he had a terrible time there for in the early years where denominational leaders disputed that what he was telling was really true and, and disputing that, that an underground church really did exist. Uh, and, you know, it's terrible that, that he and we had to find ways and means all the time of trying to prove ourselves and prove his message and prove the truth of what it was uh, that he had to say because some of our denominational leaders, not only in Australia but in Britain and in other countries, uh, went to the Soviet Union where they were wined and dined by what was known as the official church. And they had a, a marvellous time. And uh, Richard told us, you know, these church leaders in the official church in the Soviet Union to whom they're speaking are as often as not officers in the KGB, but they have been trained to speak the Christian lingo, to speak the Christian language uh, and, and to sound like the genuine thing because uh, they then were able to send these visiting uh, church leaders back back to their own countries as ambassadors mm -hmm. for them, that well, you know, really there is religious freedom. And the same thing still happens. It happens in China. It happens in North Korea. Oh, yeah, well, come and right. welcome, yeah. and yeah. we'll show you a big church building full of people, and we'll say, oh, these people meet. There's no problem. There's no persecution. So it's interesting that church leaders had bought into that to the point that when Richard came, they're like, you're not telling the truth. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there are many, many letters, you know, in our in our archives. Richard never um, was, he was not a shrinking violet. He, <laughs> <laughs> to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah, he uh, wrote letters to them and, and told them exactly how it is. And he also always told them, but I want you to know that I love you and I pray for you. Um, but... On the other side of the coin, you might say the common people and many pastors, got to be fair about it, many pastors of a lot of churches were on side and gladly welcomed him into their midst and some of them were well aware of the shortcomings of the leadership in their denominations. But um, uh, we had absolute pack-out crowds. It was wonderful, wonderful, wonderful meetings. We had him in Australia for a month 
and uh, he preached almost every day and sometimes twice a day and uh, we had him in like uh, St Andrew's Cathedral in the city of Sydney and that place was absolutely jam-packed and they had an overflow crowd and people were listening through the windows. Uh, we had him in public halls and uh, there were never enough seats. And, and, wow. Uh, and then he had press coverage and uh, he was invited onto television and so on. So, uh, yeah, and, and it wasn't only in that first meeting. Uh, we had him in Australia, uh, that was 69, well... He came, the latest he came there was 1981 when his health was beginning to fragment a bit and the long travel was becoming more difficult. But between 69 and 81, we had him there four or five, at least five times, I think. And and the interest did not diminish. Yeah, just kept on. Uh, yeah, kept on. And every time he came, uh, we still had uh, halls and churches and um, meeting places full, packed out. Wow. Uh, you're listening to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and we're speaking today with Merv Knight. He is the co-founder of VOM Australia, uh, with a lot of experiences with VOM's founder, Pastor Richard Wormbrand. Uh, Merv, tell us a little bit about Sabina, because I often tell people, without Sabina, there is no Richard Wormbrand. Uh, even going back to the Congress of the Colts and her telling him, listen, you got to stand up and do something about this. Tell us a little bit about her and how she was such a vital part of his ministry and what he did. Yeah, she was a very essential part of of his ministry. And uh, she herself, though, was a very good speaker. I would dare to say sometimes I thought she was a better speaker than him. Because <laughs> uh, she spoke mostly at um, ladies' meetings, women's meetings, uh, and uh, he would quite often introduce her in his meetings and she'd come up and uh, speak for five minutes or so, ten minutes sometimes, and uh, she also had a very vital message. And, of course, she had a great testimony because she also suffered in uh, communist prisons and had uh, many, many stories uh, that she could share about that part of her life and um, she's a very loving person and uh, I remember you know Tom White uh, who was very closely associated with them also in the early days asked Sabina if she would sum up what the mission meant in just one word and she shot back immediately fellowship and uh, she was saying how we uh, were able to have that almost mystic fellowship with Christians in, in the underground church by the kind of help and encouragement that we were able to give them and to share with them in their sufferings and and to help them know that, that uh, they were not forgotten and that we loved them and prayed for them and cared for them. You're listening to Todd Nettleton on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. You can listen to every episode of VOM Radio at www.vomradio.net. Let's transition a little bit from Richard and Sabina. You obviously have been involved in the ministry since that time, traveled all over the world into hostile and restricted countries. What are some of your experiences traveling that, that are very memorable in terms of the Christians that you met who maybe just come out of prison or who were persecuted for their faith, 
Who are some of those heroes that, that you remember from those travels? I remember meeting uh, a man in China. Well, I met, of course, quite a few people in China, and, you know, they're all different. They all have their own story to tell. And uh, I met a guy uh, in Guangzhou, and he, uh, his name was Brother Lee, and he was a pastor, and he had uh, a whole group of house churches that that he uh, ministered to, and he he travelled around, uh, and of course he ran foul of the authorities. They didn't like what he's doing, and it's amazing the lengths to which they would go to stop his work. And uh, he uh, had a, a church, and they they told him that he he had a house that he used for an underground church meeting. So they told him that uh, it was no longer legal, he was not to use that meeting, and he took no notice of them and continued on with his meetings. So they came along and uh, welded a big steel door or great gate uh, right across the doorway of the house <laughs> so that... Uh, nobody can get in. Nobody could get in and, uh, I mean, the house became useless to anybody because just nobody could get in. So the Christians still came and they sat in the laneway outside the house and uh, Brother Lee uh, ministered to them there in the open air. And so then they came and they, believe it or not, built a brick wall right across the lane, uh, <laughs> cutting off access to any everybody for anything uh, and... Uh, just simply to stop these people meeting in the name of the Lord because wow. he was arrested yeah. and uh, he uh, he had dreadful experience in prison. He was uh, put into prison and on, on one occasion his wrists were handcuffed to his ankles and so he was left like that for something like two weeks. Oh my. Every bodily need he had had to be met with his hands handcuffed to his ankles and to eat his food and whatever uh, and to sleep. Uh, he, he was simply in in that uh, position the whole time. Uh, eventually they released him. Uh, then they arrested him again and uh, he passed. He had to make, you know, the Christmas lights we put on our Christmas trees. Mm -hmm. You have a look carefully at the label. You'll practically always find made in China. And uh, that was one of the things he did in prison. And we need to remember that when we go and buy such things and use them for our celebrations, maybe they were made by our brothers and sisters in Christ in a prison somewhere. And um, he, he had a quota. He had to put, assemble them. And I, I forget what it was, 1,500 sets a day or something like that. And, and if he didn't finish the quota in in his work time, he just had to keep going until they were finished. And he told me that, you know, by the end of the days and by the end of the time, his fingers were just raw and red and bleeding from from uh, this work. Um, but he went to prison altogether. Well, I, I don't know how many times I lost track eventually, but it was at least 20 times, 21 times to my knowledge. And, and it was quite an interesting technique that the authorities used because... They could arrest him and put him in jail and hold him there for, I think it was 14 days or 15 days, without charging him with anything. So they would put him in jail and, and hold him there, and then on, the say, the 14th day, they would release him. 
So they didn't have to charge him with anything but just kept him there. Um, and uh, that was a way to disrupt his uh, program, his mm -hmm. preaching ministry. Mm -hmm. He never knew when he went to church whether he was going to come home or go to prison. And so time after time he was arrested and he missed a couple of Sundays and then they they uh, let him out again and, and he... Uh, got to the point there where he packed a little suitcase and always carried it within the church and had it in it, not his Bible, but essential things he would need in prison because uh, he wanted to be prepared that when they did take him to prison, he had those essential things. Um, and we asked his wife, uh, Frank, with a friend, uh, we uh, visited his home and said to his wife, what do you think about what your husband is doing and, and uh, his ministry? You... You know, this has been going on for months and you never know when he goes off to minister to the the house church if he's coming home or not, if he's going to go to prison. And uh, uh, she looked at us and simply said, doesn't it say in the Bible, those who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution? I mean, this is what we've always wow. been taught. That's what we expect. What are you asking a it's question for? It's not a for? surprise. <laughs> What's your problem? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you when you go and you meet someone like Pastor Lee and his family, what do you bring home with you? And what do you what do you try to put into practice in your own faith uh, that you learn from them? That's a very good question, and. Uh, it, it really, to me, it was always something that deepens my faith and, and uh, deepens um, my, uh, well, it deepens my faith and deepens my commitment and it's often something of a chastisement to me, chastises me, you know, when, when I consider how easy life for me as a Christian is in a country like Australia and I walk down the street and I hardly have opened my mouth and talk about the Lord and yet these people are prepared to be out there talking about their Saviour and witnessing for the Lord and have a burden on their hearts to bring other people to the Lord and are prepared to pay whatever price it may be, if it's to go to prison, if it's to face death, uh, if it's to face torture and humiliation, they're up there for it and they're ready to pay the price. Whereas uh, in our society, uh, we're, we're almost frightened to open our mouths because of the ridicule we, we might face because we profess to be a Christian. So I think it's a, a faith-deepening experience. If you'd like to share in that faith-deepening experience, I encourage you to sign up for VOM's free monthly newsletter, you can do that at vomradio.net. Also, for U.S. residents, if you'd like to read Tortured for Christ, the book that launched Merv on this path to fellowship with our persecuted family, you can request a free copy from The Voice of the Martyrs. Visit us at vomradio.net for a link. Thank you, Merv Knight, for being our guest. We're going to have Merv come back and join us again soon to share more of his wealth of experiences working with Pastor Wormbrand and with BOM over the many years of his faithful service to persecuted believers. I hope as we've talked about how much Pastor Wormbrand loved Jesus, 
you've been challenged to check your own heart and see if Jesus is your first love and serving him is your highest aim. I'd love to hear your feedback or how Pastor Wormbrand's life has impacted you and your fellowship with persecuted believers. All of our contact info is on our website, vomradio.net. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you next week on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.